Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us for a special message from our guest, Gil Stiglitz. This morning, Gil asked the question, What happens when God begins to bless a group of Christians, and he provides some thought-provoking answers? Listen as Gil gives us some pointers to make sure we receive God's blessing, and along the way, he gives us some guidance to avoid stopping the blessings. All right, all right. Hey, uh... I am excited to be back here. My name is Gil Stiglitz. If you didn't get the memo to not be here this weekend, um, I'm back. Uh, and uh, David is uh, enjoying family and all those kind of things. He's around here somewhere critiquing everything I say. So uh, we are excited. I want to talk with you about what happens when God begins to bless a group of Christians. Now, I don't know whether you realize it, especially if you're new in this church, but God is radically blessing this group of Christians. This this church is being blessed in amazing ways, and uh, I have been in and around this church for over 50 years, and I have watched God's hand of blessing land upon this church twice. Once about 20 plus years ago, 30 years ago, when God was beginning to move and touch and God was doing things and people were letting it happen, and then a few groups of people decided to shut it down and it just stopped. And I'm excited that God's beginning to bless this church again. And so I get to talk with you about what happens when God begins to bless a church. Because what's interesting about it is, is that many of us think that if God were to bless a church, then no problems would ever happen and nothing would ever change and it would all be just perfect. But in fact, when problems begin, it's God's way of saying, I want to bless you to solve some new ones and to do some new things. Now, what I also want to do is to help you understand how unique it is to be in this group of Christians right now because God is moving. And I don't want us to not understand that. I want us to be a part of that. And I want to tell you just from my experience, both in seeing it in other places, I remember when God began to do that in some churches that I served and it was like, this is so cool. I don't want to mess this up. God's doing some really cool things. So what I want to do is help you understand the difference between when God blesses an individual and when God blesses a group of Christians called a church. So if you have your handouts or whatever else, you can pull those out. You can take some notes if you can keep up. Um, David asked me to have 10 points. So we have a tremendous amount of material to go through. And I have to talk really fast. I probably would have come up with 15, but he restricted me to 10. So um, what I want to help you understand is when we think about sermons and church, we tend to think of us as individuals. And so we have to think first, what happens when God blesses an individual Christian? Most sermons are directed, how does God bless you as an individual Christian? And that's important and that's significant. And when that happens, usually what happens is that more blessing of God comes into one of the parts of our life, our marriage, our finances, our job, our friends. And so we have more in one of the relationships of life when we listen to what the Bible says as an individual. But when God decides that he's going to bless a church or a group of Christians, now, many times when we think about a church, we just think about the building. But it's not. A group of Christians, whether they have a building or they don't have a building or whether they meet in Circuit City or they meet somewhere else, they're still this different kind of thing. And when God decides to bless a group of Christians, what happens is, is that they get more of the corporate blessings of life. They get some really unique things that begin to happen in them. And it's happening here. And I want you to know about it. I want you to understand a little bit of history. And I want you to go, I don't want to mess this up because this is too special. This is just really exciting. So um, let's jump in here. And I'm going to go through way too much of the book of Acts. Uh, I'm going to cover eight chapters this morning within the next uh, 20, 42 hours, something like that. So now, so Acts chapter one, verses eight, 14 and two through four. The way we're going to make this work is I'm going to read a section of scripture And then I'm going to tell you the principle that we're pulling out of that section of Scripture and how it applies. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is saying, but you shall receive power. He's talking to the Christians when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. 
These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house while they were sitting there. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves as they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with one another as the spirit was giving them utterances. Now, what principle can we draw now? And as I look at this, God blessed the early church and he doesn't bless in the same order. This is just the order that it happened in Acts. But the same things happen every time he blesses a group of Christians. Now, the first thing is God prompts and then the group responds and then they get more of God. I remember 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, when this church was almost dead, it had about 50 people, 40 people on a good Sunday, and they were looking for a new pastor. And the, they found this one guy, and they asked me to interview him to see whether he would be a good fit. His name was David Fasshold. And they, I remember some of the leaders came to me and said, do you think he can really help our church? And, and uh, can, you, can he hang on? And I said, after I interviewed, I said, the question is not whether he can hang on, it's whether you can hang on with all that God wants to do through him. And uh, what I was amazed at is God poured his blessing through this pastor, David, a young guy, and the church responded. It was just exciting, and people were doing things, and things were moving. And it went from 40 to what you now see where last weekend there was over a 1,000 people here for the baptism Sunday. Isn't that exciting? It's like... You have to understand how hard it is to grow a church here in the Bay Area. It's like trying to grow a tree in Roundup. It, it just doesn't happen. God is pouring incredible blessings for this many people to come and hear the gospel. Now, let's go on. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 uh, and then 38 and 39. But Peter, the one who had just denied Christ took his stand with the eleven and raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on. The point that I want to draw out of here is churches that are blessed by God have preaching and teaching that require action. Churches that are dead have informational, in, in educational sermons. Oh, that was such a nice sermon, Pastor. But when you come to a church that's alive, God begins to just speak through the pastor who's ever speaking and you feel like, God's touching me. God's saying things to me. I used to love it when I would preach and people would come up to me afterwards and they would either get mad at me. I remember one woman said, they wrote a letter about me, didn't they? This is my first Sunday, and you covered all of my problems. And I thought, yes! I also loved it when people would come up to me, and they would say, you said this. And they would tell me that I said things I didn't say, because God was speaking to them. And the exciting thing that happens in this church right now, through Pastor David and all the different speakers that you have, God is speaking through them to your soul. That's when you have a blessing. But some people get upset. I don't like the fact that I'm being convicted. I would just assume that it was a nice church that just said nice platitudes. You don't want that. You want to be convicted because God wants to move. Now, let's go on. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. This is a crucial passage. This always happens when a church is being blessed by God. And with many other words, Peter was solemnly testifying and kept on exhorting them and saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his words were baptized. And that day there were added more than 3000 souls and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place uh, and through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they were beginning to sell their property and their possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day continually with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together and with gladness and sincerity praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved 
This is, this is such a powerful principle, and it always happens when God begins to pour out his blessings on a church and they begin to respond. What is it? They begin to focus on the purposes of the church, why the church exists. The church exists to do evangelism and to do discipleship and worship. And a couple of the things that I always notice, people get saved like we saw in the baptisms last week. People are being grown up and changed. I, I was watching the drummer this morning, and it's one of the things that I always enjoy about really good worship is when they're just doing it. And they, great worship almost always has a drummer break a stick. And so I look for that. And so I saw him banging the things. And he reaches down, he gets another one because he was ready. He knew he was going to break sticks. And I love it. Like last week when, when Savannah wrote a song and sang a song and, and you have things happen there. It's important to help you understand how the purposes of the church work. In the church that I pastored years ago, when we began to see God move, I discovered that as the pastor, I wasn't supposed to let the church just play church. I was supposed to focus it on the purposes of the church. And back then, I only understood there were three of them. I now understood there's probably five to seven of them. But back then, I would say there's only three purposes of the church, evangelism, discipleship, and worship. And everything we do here has to be about those. So I remember we were about 400 people, about half the size uh, that you are now, a group of men came to me and, and uh, they said, Pastor, we're 400 people. We have to have a softball team. And I said, I didn't know that somehow there's a magic tripwire when you get to be 400 that you should have a softball team. Oh, yeah, we were too big to not have a softball team. We like to play softball. And I said, it's wonderful you want to have a softball team. Which one of the purposes of the church do you want to fulfill with your softball team? Evangelism, discipleship, or worship? And they looked at me and they said, Uh, We don't want to fulfill a purpose of the church. We just want to have a softball team. And I said, it's illegitimate for me as the pastor of the church to have anything happen here that doesn't do what Jesus wants the church to do. So which one of the purposes of the church do you want to fulfill with your softball team? And they looked at me and, and I said, pick one. And they said, evangelism. And I said, oh, do you know what that means? And they said, no. (laughs) And I said, let me tell you what that means. That means that every team you have has to have two non-Christians on it. And that we're going to have a banquet at the end of the year. And we're going to give an evangelistic presentation and see if those non-Christians who are on the team could come to faith in Christ. So we had four teams that year. One of them was called the Screamers, which was the team that my wife and I were on. Um, because every time the, the ball came towards one of the ladies on the team, they would scream and get out of the way. Ah! And it would just go right on by. And we had a pagan right fielder and a pagan first baseman. And they had the hardest time not swearing because we were really awful, really bad. But we had, you know, fun parties and that kind of thing. So we got a big thing at the very end of the season, and we brought an evangelist, one of our missionaries in, and he gave the gospel to all the four teams and the the eight non-Christians, and two of those people prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they became Christians. And I went, that's why you have a church softball team, not to take third place in the church league. And so the next year they came back to me and they said, oh, pastor, we're 400 people. We have to have a softball team. And I said, really? What's one of the purposes of the church do you want to fulfill with your softball team? And they said, well, not evangelism. (laughs) And I said, well, pick one. And they said, discipleship. And I said, oh, do you know what that means? And they said, no, we don't know. I said, discipleship is about putting the word of God deep in your soul. So what that means is if you're going to have someone play that night, they have to memorize a verse of scripture and quote it to the captain or they can't play that night. And the captain has to lead a Bible study on the field 15 minutes before the game. And if you're not at the Bible study and you don't quote a verse of scripture, you can't play. And they said, is that what that means? I said, that's what that means. And so we had guys who had never memorized scripture, memorizing scripture and putting the word of God deep in their soul just to play second base. We had people who were teaching Bible studies and learning how to do that just so they could play softball. And when we got done, men's lives were different because of the discipleship that took place in a softball league. And I thought, that's why you have a softball team. And so the next year they came to me and they said, Pastor, we have 400 450 people now. We need a softball team. We just have to have it. I said, which one of the purposes of the church do you want to fulfill with your softball team? 
And they said, well, not evangelism or discipleship. I said, well, we only got one left. Pick one. And they said, worship. And I said, oh, do you know what that means? And they said, no, we don't know. And I said, well, worship is not singing. That's just one way to do it. Worship is praising our great God and, and telling the wonders of him and, and, and praising him. And so I said, if you're going to make worship the focus of your softball team, that means you're going to have a praise ring on the field 15 minutes before the game starts and where everybody who's part of that has to speak out the wonders of God in prayer and praise. You don't have to sing, but you just have to adore God in public. And they said, is that what that means? And I said, that's what it means. And they, we didn't have a softball team for two years. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus is never going to ask me, how come you didn't have a softball team for those two years? Because he doesn't care about softball teams. He cares about evangelism and discipleship and worship. Does that make sense? I'm an equal opportunity offender. So now let me go to the other side of the aisle and offend the ladies. Um, we had a group of ladies who they love to glue bits of junk together and uh, spend time together doing that and making napkin holders where you could put the napkins in, but you couldn't get them back out and all that kind of stuff. And and they would say, oh, pastor, we want to have a craft night. Now, if you say it too fast, you can get in a lot of trouble. But um, and so I would say, well, which one of the purposes of the church do you want to fulfill with your craft night? And they said, well, we don't want to fulfill a purpose of the church. We just want to glue stupid sticks together. <laughs> That's not exactly how they said it. But um, and I said, well, I can't let anything happen that doesn't fulfill one of these purposes Jesus gave us. So which one do you want to choose? And they said, evangelism. And I said, oh, do you know what that means? And they said, no, we don't know. And so I said, it means that when you invite all these ladies from the community, they could get 100 women, 50 of them from the community that didn't go to our church to come and glue bits of junk together. And I said, one of the ladies from our church is going to stand up and give her personal testimony how she came to faith in Christ. And then she's got to ask, would any of you like to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your life? And so we had ladies who had never shared their faith lead people, dozens of women to faith in Jesus Christ, all because they wanted to get together and waste glue and waste wood. It's amazing. My own wife, she said, I'd never done anything like that, but she got picked one evening and she gave her personal testimony and asked if people wanted to pray to receive Christ. And people came to faith in Christ because of a craft night. That's why you do it. What happens in church, I don't know whether you notice it. Have you ever been to a dead church? Yeah, a few of you. Okay. A dead church does all kinds of things that don't mean anything. They have dinners for no purpose. They get people together for no reason. They try and have fun and sing music or whatever, but they don't really aim at anything. One of the reasons why the blessing of God right now rests upon this church is because the leaders, the board, the pastors are saying, we're going to accomplish what Jesus can bless. That's why his blessing is here. Now, these are actually the, all of the purposes, but I'll let Pastor Dave tell you about all those later. He hasn't given me enough time. I did appreciate the first service, though, that he turned this clock off that told me how fast I have to go. But uh, he's, I see it's back on. I must have went overtime. So now, <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 6 says, But Peter said to them, this is a couple of chapters after the time at the beginning of the church. He says, he's saying to a, a lame man who's sitting in the temple, he says, But I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I will give you in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene walk. And what happens is the man gets up and walks. So we see this every single time God begins to bless a church. And that is the people of God begin to ask God to do miracles and he begins to do them. He just does. And I don't know whether you understand or not the miracle, the fact that you're sitting here in circuit city. I mean, this was a month-to-month -month opportunity to come in until someone else rented this facility. You were only supposed to be here three to six months, and you've been here three years. And at any point, this place could give you a 30-day notice, and you have to be gone. On top of that, you had nowhere to go because now you were too big for the old building you'd left. 
And so in the midst of this whole thing, God gives you a whole new building. And another church said, we're too small for our building. Would you like to have our building? And you guys, it's, it's a miracle. I remember, I remember in our church. Now, you can't ever decide which miracles are going to take place. You just ask for them. We, I had the privilege of leading this uh, biker guy to Lord Jesus, and he came to be a Christian. And his wife, who was a call girl, she became a Christian. And so they made quite a pair, but they were in our church. And, and I remember he had gotten a job at a big aerospace firm, but his medical insurance had not kicked in yet. And somewhere along the line, he broke his finger. He did something. It was all messed up. And so she said to him, they were sitting in their car in the driveway, and they said, this Jesus thing we just got into, they said that he would take care of us. So why don't we pray to this Jesus we just started believing in and ask him to fix your finger? They didn't tell, him about, tell me about this till afterwards. They didn't even ask me whether this was legal. And so they're praying in their car, dear Jesus, uh, that we just believe in. You said you'd help, and and we, we don't have any medical insurance, and our finger's completely busticated, and he's got to go to work, and he'll get fired. So could you fix it? Amen. They open their eyes, and his finger's completely fixed. And they just go, this Jesus thing's pretty cool. <laughs> now, I remember praying for people's backs when they didn't have the money, and God raised them up and did some amazing things. Sometimes it's physical healing. Sometimes it's monetary healing. I remember one time we were trying to buy a new building because we were running out of room. And so we needed, we had all the money except for about $4,600. And I had to turn it in on Wednesday, and this was Tuesday morning. I thought, Lord, you got to bring them other money because that's our building. we got to get it. And this lady, who had only been to our church twice, drives up to my house, and she says, Pastor, I don't even know why I'm here other than I have this sense that I'm supposed to give you this check. And it was for $10 more than the amount we owed on the building. And she said, I just had this sense I needed to give it. Do you? She said, do you need this 4600 and some odd dollars? I said, funny, you should stop by. What I think would be fascinating is if Pastor Dave or the board just stood up here and told you all the miracles that God's been doing in the last three years, let alone the last 20 years. And you would just go. Because that's what happens. People begin to say, God, could you do this for me? Could I get this job? Could I change here? Could I do that? That's when you say, boy, God's touching. Okay. now let's go on. You're not listening fast enough. Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4. And they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, the apostles, and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them or they grabbed them and arrested them and they put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Just the guys was 5,000. So that's like the men's ministry was 5,000. What's the principle? When God's really blessing, it's not uncommon for the pastor to be attacked for something. He said something wrong. Oh, that's wrong. He's an idiot. Oh, that's kind of it. And I know many churches, oh, something's wrong. The pastor's being attacked. No, unless it's really immoral, it could be a good thing because he's standing up for Jesus. I remember I was single for the first six and a half years of my ministry in my church in Southern California. And so people said, he hates women. (laughs) No, no one would marry me. Uh, It wasn't had anything to do with that, but they just invent things. And What I want to help you understand is just because some people don't get it and they attack the pastor or they attack the leaders, it may be a sign that God's in it, not that he's against it. We could spend a lot more time along that. But anyway, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, let me give you the next thing that happens when God begins to bless a group of Christians. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each as they had a need. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What happens to every 
church, every group of Christians that is being blessed by God is they begin to be more compassionate and generous. It just always happens. It doesn't mean you give everything you have away. It means that you're open to God saying, oh, give this to this and help that person. Last Saturday, not this last Saturday, but a week ago Saturday, you had this whole thing where you put meals together for 350 people. And what happens when people begin to be touched by God is they become generous to the oppressed, the afflicted, the poor, and those who are marginalized by society. It always It's the heart of God. And I'm so encouraged that it's happening. Do you know that there's some folks... I don't want to give anything that I own to anybody. I just want it for me. And what's exciting is selfish people wander into the church and they get touched by the Lord and then they become generous. (laughs) If it doesn't happen, if everybody just stays sucking on pickle juice, then what happens is, is that God can't move. I'm so encouraged by how you're reaching out and how you're touching people and how you're finding new ways to care for people overseas and in other countries here in this, in the Bay Area. Are there people who are in need in the Bay Area? Yeah, yeah. This section in here realizes that. Um, So uh, we're going to have to have this spread to other sections. Now, let's go on and take another look at some things that happen in churches that God is blessing. Acts 2, Acts 5, 2 through 6. And I wish this one didn't happen, but it always does happen. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and they kept back some of the price for themselves with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of what they had sold the property for. They laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And when it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? What they did was, it wasn't that they didn't give all the money. It was that they lied about whether it was or not. And so it was God. God was just saying, be generous. And they said, no, we'll fake like we're generous. What always happens when God begins to bless a church? What always happens? Well, fakers, takers, and braggers begin to come to the party. In fact, some of you are already here. Welcome. You're not Christians or you know all the Christian stuff and you're sitting there hoping the sermon's kind of good, but basically internally you are faking it because you don't know Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. But what's interesting, I love this one here where it says, you're so fake, Barbie is jealous. I, I just love that. I love this other one that says, Christian posers. They act like they care, but they really don't. One of the things that happens every time God begins to create a party called the blessing on some Christians is people who really don't want to believe they begin to gather around the edges because they want to be a part of it. And you know what? It's a sign that God is blessing, but you have to be careful because the fakers can be really good and they'll, they can move their way in and they can pretend like they know everything. But what you have to do is just like when God prompts, I don't know that that person's really embracing the truth of Christ. They don't have a real generous heart. They're lying about this or whatever else. And you have to be prepared that the fringes of a blessed church will have fakers. Do you know what? Most of the enemies of Christianity look at the fakers who still come to church and say, see, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what I would say is, we all have hypocrites in the church. And some of us, unfortunately, at times are. But whether or not we are being transformed is an evidence that God is moving. But if your church has no fakers, you're probably not being blessed because nothing's happening and they don't want to be a part of it. Let's go on since that's way too convicting. So Acts chapter 5, 17 through 20. But the high priests rose up, or the powers that be in that day, the city officials, along with all of their associates, and they were filled with jealousy. Something's happening in that church. How come it's not happening in our thing? And how come it's not coming over here to the rotary or whatever? And notice what it says. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, the angel said, go and stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. In other words, tell people more about Jesus. I find that fascinating. What principle do we draw? 
When God begins to bless a church, there's more resistance, there's more miracles, and there's more new Christians. I know some people who believe that if God were really blessing the church, it'd be very quiet, it'd all be orderly. There would be no one who would ever say a negative thing, right? This is not howdy-doody time. This is God is blessing the church. He's moving the church forward. And some people don't like it. It would be fascinating to ask Pastor David or one of the other board members to come up here and tell you all of the resistance they have fought in the last five years to try and come to a place where they were even here, where they this church building structure. Do you know how many? I think they've been turned down by every property owner in the East Bay in terms of trying to relocate there. No, we don't want a church there. No, we don't. And do you know what? It's just fuel because they've kept responding to God. It's been a wonderful thing as God has moved forward. Has it been discouraging at times? Yes, yes. But if you were here last weekend and you saw all those people getting baptized, seven people per service with their stories and how God's changing them and God's touching them, you go, yeah, right? Okay, a few of us. Okay, good. It's just so thrilling to watch teenagers and young people and adults be changed by the power of Christ. We believe that Jesus can love and change anyone. He's as evidenced by the fact he's working with us. And what I think is when you begin to see the kinds of resistance that this church saw in trying to relocate, you begin to see God getting ready to bless in some big ways. You see some new things. And then God opens the doors and more miracles happen. Do you have any idea what an incredible blessing it is that this other church would say, our church is just a little bit too big. Could we trade your church that's smaller for our church? That doesn't happen. It's like. I was here when that church was the going church. And I heard from people who said, how dare they come into our church, even though nothing has happened there for 30 years. Now God wants to do something where his spirit is still moving and he just wants to do it through a different denominational label. Who cares? And God is doing powerful miracles. It's just so exciting. Just don't mess it up. Just don't mess it up. I can remember, I was here the Sunday when the last time this kind of blessing was happening in this church. And I remember the day when a few leaders said, we don't like this, and they turned it off, and you just watched the church just begin to die. And we almost, I remember the church almost closed until they took a chance on this young man named David Fasshold. And God poured his blessing through David and his family and through the leaders who responded to God. And you now have this. Now, uh, uh, yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. Let's go on and talk about some more stuff you don't want to hear about. Okay, let's go on. Acts chapter 6, because this is another thing people misunderstand. This is what happens. Now, at this time, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Imagine that, people at church complaining. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. These were different people. They came from a different culture. Oh, oh, oh. Against the native Hebrews, because there were widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 or the apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from amongst you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What's the principle here? When God begins to bless a a church, new problems begin to arise because you have more people. It becomes more diverse. It becomes fascinated with different cultures and different things happening. And you have to raise up new leaders. I don't want new leaders. I want the same Sunday school teacher I've always had. I want the same pastor. I want the same deacons. And if you have this kind of thing, it has to stay the same. You stop the blessing of God. I was here last weekend teaching and and doing some stuff for your staff. And what I did was I made them make a list of all of 
you knew people who could be and should become leaders over the next two years. And so we prayed for you. And then I said, go get them. Because in order for this church to become all that God wants it to be, we have to have more of you who just got here last week or last month or within the last six months come in and say, hey, I'd like to help in that area. I'd like to help in student ministries. I'd like to help in children's. And what will happen is the complexion, the nature of this church will change. If it doesn't happen, the blessings of God will leak away. Does this make sense? And you see this in the early church where you had new deacons who were being led to do this. The other thing that happens that's hard for people is the pastors, the key pastors will become less available on a daily basis. That's the, the, the apostles had to study the word of God more. Pastor David is going to have to be a little less available in order to keep growing the church because he's going to have to talk to more leaders and more staff and that kind of thing. And I know some people... Well, if I can't talk to the pastor every Tuesday whenever I want, I'm not coming to that church. The roles have to change as you get bigger. And you're right at a critical size. You're right at about a 1,000 people. And I believe that there's the possibility that this church could go to 2,000 and reach 2,000 people. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be awesome. And... If that's going to happen, you've got to let the pastors that you have now, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Nate and Pastor David, you're going to have to let them take some new roles and adjust in some new ways. And some new leaders are going to have to rise up. And some people you've never heard of and you may not like will have to be running things. For those of you on this side of the church, people from that side of the church will be leading sections of the church. And you'll have to go, wow, I didn't even know this person six months ago. And look at what they're doing. Isn't it exciting? And then you'll go, hey, how come you're not stepping up? And they'll have to come up. It's just going to be wonderful. But you have to get used to change. Okay, now let's go on. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 and 25 through 27, God does another thing to churches that are being blessed that we don't like. I'll already tell you, we don't like this. It's exciting, but we don't like it. Look at what happens here. Philip, who was one of the deacons who had been selected a few years before to raise up this whole ministry of compassion and everything, says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he began to proclaim to Christ, Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to him. And what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing and for the case of many who had unclean spirits they were coming out of them and shouting with a loud voice and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed so there was much rejoicing in the city Philip was told by God to go and talk to a group of people who were not in the church they were a different culture they were called the Samaritans Then it says, so after this had happened, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken of the word of the Lord, they started on their way back to Jerusalem and they were preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road which descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. I mean, it's desolate. Basically, the Lord told Philip, I want you not to be a part of the party anymore. I'm going to send you to another group of people who don't know me. And so he goes to this isolated desert road way south. And it says, so he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, one guy, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So what happens that's very exciting, but we don't want it to happen when God begins to bless a group of Christians. God keeps looking for partners, people who will listen to him and go and speak to other groups. And you may lose a deacon here or there, a board member here or there, a pastor here or there. But I liked pastor so-and-so. I liked deacon such and such. She was wonderful. Why did she have to leave? That's just not fair. I wanted everybody to stay. Have you ever been to a church and you could go back five years later and everything is exactly the same? That is not a live church. Things change. And one of the things you have to recognize is that out of the blue, against your desires, God might say to a youth pastor or to a deacon or to someone else, I want you to go over to this group 
I want you to spread the news to this. And you have to say, if God is in it, I'm for it, even though I love you and I don't want you to leave. Does this make sense? Because this is how God births more people. And we always love when we can stay together, but we can't always. I remember when God called me, I'd been 17 years in the same church. And when God said, I want you to leave and go back up to Northern California and work with the 50 different churches. And I thought, this has to be the devil. This can't be the Lord. And yet it was the Lord. And I got a chance to come back and connect with you guys and connect with Pastor David and all the other folks in this area. God moves people when they are responsive to him. In fact, it would be interesting to know how many of you were actually born in the Bay Area, but not many of you probably. You came here over some time because God moved you here from some other place, some other county, country, and God's doing something. Now, I don't believe in preaching sermons we don't apply. And since you're not listening fast enough, I have to go through these points quicker than I wish. But let me help you understand. It is in your hands to keep the blessing of God going by responding to God or by resisting him. It's in your hands. The congregations, pastors can do everything they want. But if you just say, nope. So I want to go back through those points really fast and tell you how you might be tempted to resist what God is doing. Because I want this to continue so that there's thousands of people being blessed by God and God has freedom to do this. So let's jump in. The blessing of God comes because when God prompts, people respond. But sometimes the resistance is this. We expect the pastors to be the only ones who have to be spiritual and listen to God. In other words, we don't want to be spiritual. We want the pastors to be spiritual. You go do your prayer thing and you come and tell us about it, pastor. If you want the blessing of God to continue, you and I as the congregation have to become more godly. We have to be moving forward. Okay. The blessings come because the preaching and the teaching requires action. And when the pastor preaches and he thunders, it's great. And you go, I'm going to change. You resist him when you say things like, we want sermons that are entertaining and informational, not challenging and convicting. Pastor, could you tell more jokes? And could you make me uncomfortable less? I don't like that part. That's not how it works. You have to go. Isn't it exciting when you come here and you hear Pastor David or you hear Pastor Jonathan or one of the other pastors who speaks and you go, God was speaking to my heart and, and wow, it was hard and you were speaking to me. And you, a church that's alive is excited about that. Number three, the blessings of God land because the church focuses on the purposes and they're willing to put the purposes in everything they do. The resistance comes when you say things like, I don't want to do the purposes of the church. I just want to have a nice event with my friends. When I was a pastor, we had one lady who came to me one time and she said, Pastor, I want to have a Thanksgiving dinner for my friends and my church family and, and, uh, and some of my family members. Um, and I said, great, which one of the purposes of the church do you want to do with your dinner? And she said, I, I don't want to do that. I just want to have a nice dinner. We just want to have eat. And I said, I, I can't let that happen. I said, I can put the, one of the purposes into it. You want to worship? You want to disciple people? You want to evangelize? You've got a lot of non-Christians in your family? Love to do that. She said, no, nope, I'm not doing that. And I said, then you can't do it here at church. You can do it at your house and we'll pray for you, but it's not a church event. Does this make sense? The fourth blessing, the blessings come because people in the church ask for God's miracles. They ask that God would do things that only God can do. And then we just to hear them. It's wonderful. Resistance comes when people begin to say, we don't want those kinds of miracles. Now, I have every confidence if the devil starts showing up and messing this church up, that the leadership of this church and the pastor will stop it. But I also believe that God needs to have the freedom to show up and do the things that only God can do. And so you go, did you know God did this and he did that? And it's so exciting because it's stuff that you might not think. Now, wouldn't you like that? A few of you. Okay. Okay. I, I'm going to have to pull on this row over here because they're not sure. Okay. 
Wouldn't you love it if you were beginning to hear more and more of how God were doing things that only God could do? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. See, I can't let you just resist. I hope this sermon's quick and done because I don't want to do that. No, pull. Blessings come because the pastor is attacked for some silly thing. And yet more people hear the gospel. The resistance comes when people hear that the pastor was talked about in a bad way or was arrested for something or whatever else. And they say, oh, maybe there's other things that are wrong about the pastor. We better do more checking. Now, and if you have something, if he does something immoral, whack him. But if it's just that he's getting in trouble because he's talking about Jesus too much, that's a good thing. And expect that to happen. It would be fascinating to have Pastor David come up here and tell you all the times he's gotten in trouble for talking about Jesus in the wrong venues. The blessings come because compassion and generosity begin to increase. Because people are willing to say, God, who do you want me to give to? Who do you want me to share with? Let me just... I tend to try and carry around a little cash, $10, $5, $20, that isn't mine, that it's the Lord's. And I just say, Lord, whenever you want me to give it to someone, you just point them out. And so we're just walking along, and all of a sudden the Lord will just say, that person. And it's like, I don't know how I... It's just that person. And so I walk up. I think God has something for you. God bless you. And it's a wonderful thing to do. I mean, we were walking through Washington, D.C. on a vacation a couple years ago. And it was like all these people who were panhandling. And God said, no, 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 no. And then we got to this lady who was sitting on this bench. And she wasn't asking for anything. And God just said her. So I just handed her a $20 bill. I just said, God bless you. You, you and I are vessels of God. And just be prepared to be touching other people. It's not everyone. It's just the people he directs you to. Uh, number seven, fakers, braggers, and takers will come to the party. A church this large has some wonderful braggers, some wonderful takers, and some wonderful fakers. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. But you need Jesus. And the danger is, that even if you may be rich or even if you may look good and you wear the right clothes and you drive the right car and you say all the right things, you're a faker. You really don't believe in Jesus at the depths you need to. The danger is, is that some people will say, oh, they look so good. They need to be in leadership. No, they don't. People who love Jesus at the core of their being need to be in leadership. So that's how you resist. Number eight. Blessings of God come when more resistance comes and more miracles come and more new Christians come. What would it be like if this room were completely packed with twice as many people as there is right now? It would be a bigger mess. Yes. And that's okay. And more people would be upset by everything somebody says. And yet the gospel would be going out. The resistance, you and I, as a part of the congregation, can shut it down when we say... Well, I think we need to tone down this Jesus stuff a little bit. There's some people who are upset by that. Well, yes. I don't know whether this has ever occurred to you in the Bay Area, but Jesus is not politically correct. He's not. Because he wants us to care for people. He wants us to do things that don't always match up with this political party or that political party or this kind of thing. I think Jesus kind of goes this way and political parties go this way. And... If you're going to say God has a plan for our life, that may be against what other people have as their plan. Number nine, new problems, new leaders, new focuses. The pastors are going to have to focus on new things. The resistance is, I don't like all these changes. I'm leaving the church. Pastor doesn't seem to be as available as before. I've seen people do things like, now thankfully not at this church yet, you weren't with us at 4950, so I don't think that you really understand the old church. And there's a, there's a sense in which I just was a part of a church that was 4,000 in size and merged with a church that was 10,000 in size, and we became 14,000 in size. 
The name changed. Leadership changed. And you know what a number of people said to me? I don't like the name change. I don't like how people are being moved around. And so ministries are changing. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this church and go to a church with a new name, with new ministries and people being moved around. (laughs) There's something wrong with that. This is what happens. You've got to be comfortable with that. And then number 10, God keeps looking for more people to partner with who will say yes to him. And that means some people that you dearly love will move. Some people will move to another church in the area because God calls them to a Nazarene church or Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or or Lutheran church or whatever. Wonderful. If God calls you there, go. There were times when I used to put people in my church in the car and drive them to other churches. Say, if you can't find the joy of the Lord in this church, don't snipe with us. Go find the joy of the Lord or plague them. You know, something. (laughs) Don't be here. At the same time, God will touch a pastor here or there, a deacon here or there, a board member here or there. Some he may call to heaven. Some he may call to another state. And the resistance is after that happens, and it will happen. I don't know who, I don't know what, I don't know when. Some of you will say, I liked it better when Pastor Jonathan was doing that. I don't like that guy. I don't like that lady. Can we have a different one? I liked who it used to be. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I don't want to be resisting you. I want to be blessing you. And change is inevitable. Let's come to the final conclusion. I'm going to ask you to make a very critical choice. How many of you want to keep the blessing of God going in this church? Okay, good, good. How many of you want to resist? Okay, keep your hands high so we can all look at you. Okay. (laughs) It's up to you whether the blessing of God can continue to flow through your pastors, your leaders, your servants, and the blessing of God can reach further out into this Bay Area. Now, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the blessing of God is landing on this church. In the midst of a very difficult place to grow a church, you have sent servants, Pastor David and his wife Sandy and their family and and the Sowers and and Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Nate and, and all of these, the board members who've been here and faithful for so many years and the new folks who are coming up. Raise up new leaders. May we not resist you because change is important. May we see your miracles and celebrate what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.